Good morning, church. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, it's good to see a few uh, uh, new faces here. And if you are new and we haven't spoken to each other yet, please introduce yourself to me. I would love uh, to get to know you. And uh, I want to bring you up to speed. We're in the middle of a series on the book of Philippians. And um, I'm going to start with a goofy story, right? Of course, because that's what I always do, right? Uh, it's a goofy story about a monk who went to a, a, a monastery to take a vow of silence, and he was allowed two words at the end of each year. And after the first year of silence, the supervisor called the monk in to speak his two words, and the monk said, food cold. Well, after the second year, the supervisor called the monk in, and the monk said, bed hard and then after the third year, the supervisor called the monk in, and the monk said, I quit. <laughs> and the supervisor said, good, because you've done nothing but complain since you got here. <laughs> All right. One of Paul's main themes in the book of Philippians is true joy and how to get it. And here, Paul points out, highlights, an enemy to joy. And that enemy is complaining. Because complainers are killjoys, right? They make themselves unhappy as well as everyone else around them. And the problem is that complaining is a really difficult habit to break. Now, some of you might here might be naturally negative and tend to look for the bad things in life. On top of all of that, we're all conditioned day after day in a society that is continuously bombarding us with what is wrong with everything at the expense of what is right and good. Bad news sells. Good news does not sell. Advertisers are constantly reminding us how horrible our lives are without their product. And talk radio has become a platform for professional complainers that train millions of their listeners to complain as well. And on and on and on and on it goes. In our text, Paul shows us the secret to conquering complaining. But before we look at the text, before we get into it, I want to talk about four types of complainers. And as I talk about these four types of complainers and describe them, as I do, there's one rule, and that is no elbowing the person next to you. All right, deal? <laughs> I want you to figure out which complainer you are, okay? So let's get into it. Four types of complainers. The first one is the whiner. And the whiner says, they're, they're known for saying their line is, it's not fair, right? The whiner wakes up negative. They don't rise and shine. They rise and whine. And they will always be miserable because life is not fair, is it? That's just the way life is. Next, we have the martyr. And the martyr's line is, no one appreciates me. They are pros at pity parties. They let everyone know how lame everyone else is for not appreciating them. Or, or we keep it to ourselves and we just kind of stew over it in bitterness. Even someone as godly as Moses 
struggled with this. It's recorded for everybody to read throughout history in Numbers chapter 11. And Moses asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land that you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you are going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me if I have found favor in your eyes and do not let me face my own ruin. Just kill me now. Ever find yourself grumbling like that? Maybe so. Moving on. Next. The cynic, the cynic's line is, nothing will ever change. Nothing will ever change. Listen to Psalmy. He says, everything is meaningless, completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and go, but the earth never changes. History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Now, there's some truth to these words, but it's tinged with cynicism. This is Eeyore talk. Like, why bother, right? What's the use? Nothing's ever going to change. And then last, there's the perfectionist. The perfectionist, the perfectionist line is, is that the best you can do? Nothing is ever good enough. Nothing is ever quite right The book of Proverbs says that these complainers nag like water going drip, drip, drip on a rainy day and that it's better to live in the wilderness than with someone who nags. Nothing destroys the warmth of a home or any relationship faster than complaining. And it doesn't even do any good. Has complaining ever worked on any of you? Then why do we do it all the time? And by the way, side note, this is for free. If we see it in our children, we need to ask ourselves if they are following our example. So, so we got to watch this. So there we have it. We have the whiner, we have the, marner, uh, the, the martyr, we have the cynic, and we have the perfectionist. Anyone here thinking about other people as I was going through this list? Of course, all right? So I'm not alone in this. We need to be asking ourselves, which type of complainer am I? This is for you. This is for me. And so we got to check our own hearts. Paul says to each of us this morning, do all things without grumbling or complaining or, or disputing. And one of the most difficult things about complaining is to see it in yourself. Because what we do is, is, is we kind of justify it. We, we say, well, you know what, I have a few justified gripes, but I'm not a complainer. Or I don't have a critical spirit. I just have the spirit of discernment. It's funny because it's true, huh? Or I only complain about people who complain. Oh, wait. It is always easier to see it in other people. We got to own our own complaining. And here's why. The book of Proverbs says, a man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. 
So, let's collectively admit it, collectively confess it. We, you and I, we're all complainers, right? Can we admit that? Now, let's look at three reasons to stop complaining. Now that we've all confessed and willingly admitted that we're all complainers, let's look at three good reasons to stop complaining. Now, when it, whenever, I, whenever I teach, um, I try to apply God's word to both Christians and non-Christians. But these three reasons that the Apostle Paul gives us here are, are really aimed right at Christians. So if you're here this morning and you are not a Christian, these may not seem relevant to you. However, I hope that by listening to these reasons, it'll give you insight into what's involved in being a Christian because these reasons are extremely relevant. These reasons are extremely relevant to Christians. And the first reason to stop complaining is this, is that it fogs up the brightness of your witness. Paul says that complaining totally undermines your purpose in life. It is totally counterproductive to your purpose, functionally opposed to why you are here and why you exist. According to verse 15, God has called us to be people of integrity in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you will shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Now look, it's no secret. I mean, no, we can't, there's no debate anymore that, that we live in a culture today uh, in which unbelief is, is rampant, where people live in, in just open rebellion against God and his, his word, because God is about his real Santa Claus, right? And one of the ways that unbelief shows up is through complaining. Complaining is the all-American pastime. We're always looking for what's wrong. We're always complaining. We're always whining. We're always grumbling. And there is the spirit of, of discontent and ungratefulness and a lack of faith in an all-powerful, sovereign God. God says that we are to be different, to be totally different from the world. God has called us to shine as stars in the darkness as, as you hold out the word of life. How in the world, how in the world can I hold out the word of life saying, you know what, I believe in a God that is in control and a God, you know, that is love and then complain about my circumstances and complain about my government and complain about my health problems and complain about whatever else. You know, we keep saying around here that, that we believe God has called us to lead people to and through a life-changing relationship with Jesus and his family. That gets destroyed. That initiative, that effort gets destroyed through God's people complaining. It totally undoes, undoes our witness. It totally destroys our witness. Undoes. I'll own it, man. <laughs> Complaining lacks integrity. Complaining undermines our purpose in life. Complaining undermines the brightness of our witness. Second, here's what else complaining does. It totally spoils our worship. 
In verse 17, Paul says, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So, in the old, here's the deal. In the Old Testament, a drink offering of wine was poured out on top of a sacrifice. It made the offering complete and produced a sweet aroma to the Lord. So, when the Apostle Paul uses words like drink offering and sacrifices, he sees his life, he sees his effort, he sees even his death as an act of worship. It is tempting to think that becoming a Christian should make life easier. But look at Paul. He was on the fast track uh, in Judaism, a rising star voted most likely to succeed, but then he met the risen Jesus. And now he is in chains in a dungeon facing execution by Nero. Now, if anyone had the right to throw a pity party, it's Paul. Well, I mean, wouldn't he be justified by moping around and grumbling just a little bit? But what's he say? He says, even if my life is offered up in death, I will rejoice and be glad. How in the world can Paul say that? Is he crazy? Now, we'll answer how he does that in a second. But for now, I want you to notice that he sees his circumstances as difficult as they may be as a God-ordained opportunity to worship his Savior. Let me repeat that. The Apostle Paul views his circumstances as difficult as they may be as an opportunity to worship his Savior. And he says, I am not going to miss out on an opportunity to bring sweet worship to Christ and bring glory to his name. You know what's true for Paul is true for you and me, for all of us. The same is true about our circumstances. So let me ask you, think about your life right now and whatever crud you're going through right now. What, are you, what is it that you're tempted to complain about this morning? I, it might be a physical problem or a financial problem or, or your aloneness or a messed up relationship or a living situation, a frustrating job, a hurt or a shame or a difficult marriage. What is it? I mean, I can't believe I had to preach on this this week. Because this last week, we discovered water damage and mold in our closet. Our rent is going up. My car is dying, and Shannon needs to have a tooth extracted, and we don't have insurance for that. My first reaction was not, praise Jesus. <laughs> but then I remembered God. And God used the people in my life to remember who he is and what he has done. My daughter asked to pray for me. My son in, in encouraged me by, by working alongside with me to fix some of the things. My, my wife was reading a printout of a sermon from two weeks ago, was taking pictures of it, the things that I said, and texting them to me. <laughs> How awesome is that? God is gracious. Man, oh man. God knew what I needed. What is it 
for you. I want you to know this morning that God has ordained our circumstances as an opportunity to worship him. The exact opposite of complaining and declaring either directly or indirectly that God is not control, he is not love. That is the opposite of worship. It, it, it can be easier to obey God and, and have joy or whatever when everything is going great. But when things are tough, when everything in you is crying out, what in the world is going on? Why is this happening? That's when we have a special opportunity to tenaciously worship God. To, like, with sanctified stubbornness, I will rejoice no matter what is going on. And guess what? It is the best thing for us. It is the best thing for us. When we look to God and remember who he is and what he has done, it changes our whole perspective and it changes our hearts. And then we find the kind of joy Paul's talking about here. It's in those moments that he finds your worship especially sweet. Don't miss this opportunity. And then third, complaining causes you, this is tough, it causes you to doubt your salvation. Let me explain. Paul had Old Testament history in mind when he wrote these words. These words, grumbling and, and disputing, they bring to mind the complaint of the Israelites in the wilderness. In fact, when Paul says in, in verse 15, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, he uses words from the book of Deuteronomy. And he's pointing us back to God's people in the wilderness after their liberation from slavery in Egypt. Why? To stress the seriousness of the sin of complaining. Complaining is not just a struggle. It's sin. You remember our Exodus series? Traveling from the Red Sea to the land of Canaan on foot would take about Two weeks. How long did the Israelites take? Forty years. Why? They grumbled and complained. And God would say, All right, one more lap around the desert. <laughs> then they grumbled again, and God said, Okay, take another lap. I'll give you another chance to get it right. And then they grumbled again, and God said, Give me one more. And they kept grumbling and grumbling, and God said, okay, die there. Over 40 years, a whole generation died in the wilderness. That is how seriously God takes this sin of complaining. They did not get into the promised land because they were complainers. And complainers will not enter the heavenly promised land. The Old Testament promised land is a picture of heaven. Now look, check, check this out. Paul says in, in verse 16, do all things without grumbling so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Now hold on. 
Another section, Paul expresses his hope and confidence that the people that he brings to the Lord will be his reason for rejoicing when Christ returns, right? But here, he acknowledges the possibility that his work might be in vain, that they might not enter in, that God might say to them, die in the wilderness. But wait, time out, hold on one second. I thought we entered into heaven through faith in Christ. That's right. So then complaining can't keep us out of heaven, only unbelief can. Well, that's kind of right. We are saved by faith, but God is saying that the root of complaining is a heart of unbelief. The psalmist wrote, wrote about this. He said, when the Lord heard them complaining, he was very angry, and his fire broke out, and his wrath rose against Israel, for they did not believe in God or trust in his deliverance. And the author of Hebrews tells us, so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. There is a direct connection between unbelief and complaining, unbelief and grumbling, unbelief and whining. And maybe some of you this morning lack assurance of your salvation. You're not sure that if you died today, you would go to heaven. You know, there could be different reasons for that, but one of those reasons is complaining. We cannot have the certainness of heaven if we are habitual complainers. We can't. So, I'm asking you, if you see this in my life, ever, if you love me, you will approach me with this. You'll ask me about it. You'll pray for me. Because I can justify my complaining just as easily as anybody else can. All right? This is something we have to do each other. You don't smack... Don't smack me down with it, or you know what I mean? Be nice, be kind, or whatever. And I won't smack you down with it either, all right? Deal? As a community of grace, we can lovingly encourage each other, not being insensitive to what people are going through, but we point people to who God is, what he has done already. He's got a track record and what he's promised to do. It will help for all of us to guard our hearts when life gets difficult. So, complaining fogs up the brightness of our witness. It spoils our worship. It causes us to doubt our salvation. And so now the question is, how can we stop complaining? Because just shutting up is not enough. Because we can shut up, but then... Our hearts are still filled with complaining. We're complaining on the inside. How can we have a change of heart? What is needed in conquering complaining? There is only one solution. If you're feeling crushed right now because you know that you complain, then this is for you. All right? There's great hope. There's only one solution. And right before I tell you what it is, let's look at the cause. 
Why do we complain? Two reasons. First of all, and this might be more applicable to to non-Christians this morning, um, you complain because we know actually deep down there is a God. Here's the deal. If there is no God, then there's no basis for complaining. There is no right and wrong. And if there is no right and wrong, there's not a way things ought to be. And if there's not a way things ought to be, then there's no basis for complaining. Sickness and violence and starvation and death are are just the way things are. So there's no better or worse because there is no standard to measure things against. You see what I'm saying? But the reason we complain is that deep down we know better. Deep down in our hearts we know that things are not the way they ought to be. And deep down we know that there is a right and wrong, and deep down we know then there is a God, but we suppress that truth. Sometimes our, our, our complaining is proof that we believe that there is an authority who says that there is a way things ought to be. Second, and this may go for non-Christians and for Christians, We complain because we're looking at God through the wrong lens. We complain because we look at God through the morality lens. And through that lens, we see two groups of people. We see good people, you know, who keep the rules, supposedly, and bad people who don't keep the rules. So, you know, if I keep the rules, then God will reward me. But if I don't keep the rules, God will punish me. But what happens Well, if I am superficial and shallow enough to think that I've kept the rules, then when I'm hit with hard times, I complain against God. I don't deserve this. I've been good. I've worked hard at being good. You owe me a better deal. Or if I'm honest enough to see that I have not lived up to God's rules, or I'm honest enough to realize that I may honor him with my mouth or maybe even actions, but my heart is far from him, when I'm honest enough to, to admit that, when I see that, then I complain against myself. I deserve this because I am bad, so God is punishing me. So how can we stop complaining? We need to change our lens We need to look at life through the lens of Christ. We've been hammering this over the last few weeks. This is what we need. This is the one solution. When we look at life through the lens of Christ, what do we see? We see a cross. We see that Jesus died for our sins, that we were totally and completely lost, but then we are infinitely exalted. Apart from Christ, I am totally, hopelessly lost. And you know what? There are not two groups of people, good and bad. All have fallen short of God's glory. And so we are all so lost that it took nothing less than the death of God the Son to make us right with our triune God. But then we are infinitely exalted. The cross says that God loved us so much he was willing to die so that we could be forgiven, so that we can experience life as it ought to be. Life in intimate fellowship in him. 
Here's, the, here's what's crazy. Here's part of the mystery. Part of the mystery of the gospel is this, that in Christ, you have already been exalted. And one day, when Jesus returns, what is true about you now will be fully experienced. Do you see what this has to do with complaining? I mean, this has absolutely everything to do with complaining. When hard times hit, I don't complain against God. I mean, if I, if I believe this, I don't complain against God because I know I deserve far worse. Anything less than hell for me is a deal. On the other hand, I don't complain against myself because I know that God is not punishing me. He has already punished all of our sin on the cross once and for all time. Therefore, you know, you can know that God is using the hard times in our life to brighten our witness, to sweeten our worship, and to make us more like Jesus who suffered for us. This is the power of grace. This is the power of the gospel. And it is a gift. This is the only way to conquer complaining. We must look at our difficult circumstances and our strained relationships and our unfulfilled longings and expectations through the lens of Christ because a changed lens leads to a changed heart and a changed heart leads us into worship. There is nothing more liberating, there's nothing better for us than worship, even and especially in our darkest days, because then we remember who God is and what he has done for us, and we remember that he is in control and he loves us, and even though we don't understand what's going on, he does. He holds the universe together. He has promised to make all things right. Nothing fills our heart more with joy than worship, especially in the midst of the, our scariest days and our darkest days. It is Worshiping God is the best thing for us, and God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. So, what type of complainer are you? Are you a whiner, a martyr, a cynic, or a perfectionist? Or are you able, like me, to somehow be a unique combination of all four? Let me ask you something. What would happen to your life if all complaining just stopped? starting today, starting with you? I mean, what if you made a commitment with others to outlaw complaining in your home, to outlaw complaining in your crowded house, to outlaw complaining in your job? What difference would it make? I'll tell you. Your witness would be brighter. Your worship will be sweeter your assurance of your salvation would be stronger. Now, listen to me. 
You cannot do this on your own. You can't muster this up out of sure willpower. The world is too broken and too painful and too hard to be able to muster this up on your own. You can't just put a positive spin on, on just the brokenness and the pain that we're going through. You can't do this on your own. But in Christ and because of Christ, I'm telling you this morning, based on the promises of God, you can have joy replace complaining in the midst of hard times. The same resources that enabled Paul to rejoice in a dungeon, in chains, are available to you and me. They are available because there is a cross. And at the cross, Jesus conquered complaining. At the cross, Jesus never grumbled. He never complained. Even when people mocked him and spit on him and drove spikes through his hands and his feet, he never once uttered a complaint. He willingly poured out his, his life in service to us and worship to his Father. He died to pay the penalty for our sin, especially our sin of complaining, which is ultimately a complaint against God. And then, on the third day, God raised him from the dead. And he is seated right now with the Father, working all of our troubles and all of our tragedies together for your good and his glory. And one day he will return to make all things the way they ought to be. And until that day, he is with you by his Spirit. If you have believed in him, the very spirit of Jesus lives within you. Do you believe that this morning? As you trust him, he overcomes complaining and fills your life with courage and joy no matter what the world throws in your face. And so this morning, I urge you, look at God and look at life through the lens of Christ and he will conquer you're complaining, and replace it with indestructible joy. Amen? Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, first, God, we pray that you would forgive us for complaining. Forgive us for acting like and because deep down we believe um, that you are not loving, that you're not in control. God, I pray that you'd forgive us for clouding our witness and diluting our worship and looking at you through the lens of moralism instead of the lens of grace. God, we thank you that you have forgiven us. That if we confess our sin, we're as opposed to justifying our sin, uh, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God, we thank you that Jesus lived the life that we should have lived for us and he died the death we should have died for us so that we can experience life in you the way that it is meant to be. God, I, I pray 
that you would give us a, a, a sanctified stubbornness to worship you, to declare our dependence and our reliance upon you because we in, our, uh, in and of ourselves know that there is no way that we are ever enough to conquer the brokenness in the world or our complaining. We need you. So God, I pray that you would give us a, uh, by the power of your grace and gospel a holy resolve to be in people who look at life and who look at our brokenness, uh, look at our strained relationships, our unfulfilled longings through the lens of Christ. God, we pray that you would replace our complaining with joy. God, I pray if there's anybody here who has not trusted you, that this morning you would open their eyes to the hope that they have in you and your promises. God, I pray, Lord, that they would find joy in you, rest in you. Give them the courage follow you. Give them the faith to trust you this morning, right now, in this moment. And lead them to share that with a, a Christian friend of theirs so they can be encouraged in their walk with you. God, for the rest of us here, God, I pray that you would Guard us against being distracted. Guard us against uh, our mind wandering right now, thinking about other things or doing other things. Help us to use this opportunity, uh, this time in preparing our hearts for the Lord's Supper. God, I pray that each and every individual here would freely confess to you the sin in our hearts, the areas where we're not trusting you, that you are loving or in control. And God, for, for those who, who really are experiencing just deep pain and hurt and brokenness right now, God, I pray, Lord, that they would not be crushed. Help them that, to know that their hope is not in their circumstances or in their own strength, that their hope is in you. Renew that hope in them this morning. We pray these things in your name.